2: your next stay. Find a stay for any you when you book direct at choicehotels.com, where travels come true. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor. Gene, who's we'll good? But be careful, because the worst trips result
3: when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, Run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class, a production of iHeartRadio. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry, And I'm Tracy B. Wilson. So back when this pandemic began, uh, we selected 10 episodes to go on our Offbeat History playlist, which was a a playlist that we dropped of things that were a little more light in tone so that they might be a nice distraction. And one of the things that I had selected to include was our two-parter on the Great American Hippo Ranch plan. And so in re-listening to those, just for a, a quality check, I realized that I mentioned during them that it would be really, really fun to do an entire episode on Fritz Duquesne because his life was, I don't know a better word to describe it, bananas.
1: <laughs> it's a its a journey, a
2: very, a, a lot of journey. <laughs> I mean, I, I envy both his bravado and his energy. But so here I am, it's almost four years later, finally doing that thing. Uh, And that two-parter has spawned another two-parter, because we are talking about a man who changed his life story to suit his needs. He worked under an estimated 40 aliases, and he lived a life that was very full, but it also directly involves a lot of significant historical events. And one of the things that Duquesne excelled at was escaping custody. And this first part is going to cover his early life up to an escape that serves as a major shifting point in his life. And then next time we will cover a whole bunch of his time as a saboteur, spy, and journalist, among other things, right up to the end of his life. And I want to give you a heads up that this episode does contain brief mentions of sexual violence. Duquesne's
1: parents, Abraham and Minna, lived in East London in Cape Province, South Africa. And Abraham was a hunter who just slowly built up a fortune by selling hides as well as tusks and horns. The Duquesnes were boers. These were Dutch and Huguenot settlers and their descendants who made their homes in Southern Africa starting in the 17th century. Fritz was born on December 21st of 1877, and his full name was Frederick Luginot Joubert Duquesne. And at this point, the spelling of that last name was D-U-Q-U-E-N-N-E. His spelling of it changed later on in his life.
2: Yeah, if you hear someone who is a French speaker pronounce it, particularly the way his parents spelled it, it will be more like Duquesne, uh, where that A sound is a little softer. And then as he lived his life Duquesne and that sort of harder-A-sound Americanized style became part of it, and he started spelling it differently. Uh, the blurred nature of Fritz's life story begins right there at the beginning, at least in terms of how he presented himself. This will come up over and over that he kind of crafted his persona I don't even want to say carefully because he was sloppy in details at times, but uh, to suit his needs. And while he was born in the Duquesne home, what he liked to tell people was that he was born on the run as his parents traveled with other white European descendant Afrikaners and were attacked by a group of black Africans. He claimed that he came into the world hearing gunfire.
1: Uh, This was just one of the many stories that Fritz would eventually tell as he crafted this very complicated and completely unverifiable backstory. Despite the fact that he spent most of his time as a teen being educated in England, he claimed that in those same years he had been captured by a Bantu-speaking tribe and had saved himself by making the daughter of the tribal leader fall in love with him. A lot of this is racially very problematic.
2: Oh, yeah. (laughs) Like, the whole
1: story of, of of European colonialism in South Africa is, uh, like, we're going to touch on it some, but, like, there's a lot of pieces that are very racist and problematic.
2: Oh, yeah. We will talk about Duquesne as an adventurer, but we don't really delve into the the really problematic and difficult thing that the attitude of virtually all white European descendant men who categorize themselves as adventurers had really, really unfortunate and incorrect attitudes about the people that were native to the places they like to explore. Uh, It's come up on the show many times, so I felt like Duquesne's story is busy enough. We didn't need to, uh, you know... of venture over that territory again. Um, But the Dukens did certainly find themselves in the conflict between the black and white inhabitants of South Africa. Fritz is actually alleged to have killed a Zulu man who was attacking his mother when he was still just a boy, and then to have been involved in a much larger battle between the Dutch descendant Afrikaners and a group of Bantu men when he was just 12. And while these stories do seem to have at least been grounded in some actual events of conflict, we should note that this information comes from sources that are all written from the Boer point of view. In
1: 1806, the Cape Colony, which had been controlled by the Dutch until this point, fell under British control during the Napoleonic Wars. This led to a lot of friction between the Boers and Britain over a number of issues. The biggest one was Britain's anti-slavery stance— Many Boers decided to move to more rural areas. They eventually founded Transvaal and the Orange Free State. Britain recognized those as independent republics, although as violence between the Boers and the native Bantu peoples escalated, Britain moved in its troops into these republics under the pretext of keeping the peace. There's really a motivation in this whole mix that was outside of diplomacy and politics for Britain. That was the discovery of gold and diamonds in the area. And the ports around the Cape that were active trade routes also added value to Transvaal that Britain was really eager to control.
2: Yeah, it was initially like, oh, sure, you have your own countries. That's fine. Wait, your countries have stuff? Uh, I'm, we we would have like to, that stuff. We have to help you. We're helping. <laughs> we're helping. Uh, this is, of course, the very broad strokes version of all of this. But ultimately, a struggle for control of the region escalated, unsurprisingly, into military conflict. The first of these, which was called the First Boer War, or sometimes the First Anglo-Boer War, or the Transvaal Rebellion, and you will even find other names, started in December 1880, and it resulted in a British defeat. Fritz was just three years old when this played out, but the ongoing hostility toward Great Britain in the area was part of a culture that he just grew up in. And in an odd twist, despite this anti-Anglo sentiment, Fritz was, as we mentioned just a moment ago, sent to England for school as a teenager, allegedly at the behest of an uncle on his mother's side, who recognized that there was just no comparable education in Southern Africa.
1: The story goes that after attending private school and graduating, Fritz moved on, first to Oxford for a year and then to the Belgian École Militaire in Brussels, When he was there, he learned about artillery and engineering as well as explosives. He also became proficient in fencing and swordsmanship. And according to the kind of legendary Duquesne accounts, this resulted in the deaths of three different challengers in duels that rose over the affections of young ladies. Uh, These assertions, though, are not really backed up with any kind of attendance records at Oxford or École Militaire.
2: And there is also an alternative account of these years, also told at various points by Duquesne, in which he claimed that he had been en route to Europe from Africa aboard a steamer after a break between his English schooling and his advanced studies, so before he went to university, when suddenly his plans shifted. And according to this story, he said that he met a man on that journey while he was on the ship who convinced him that he would learn more if he took his school money and used it to travel around the world. And so the two men set off together. And allegedly, this journey ended when Duquesne's father caught up to the pair in Singapore, partying like crazy, and then sent Fritz back to school.
1: But as Fritz was either on a globetrotting drinking binge with his new, much older friend or learning about explosives in military school, the issues between the Boers and the British back home were escalating. This would become the Second Boer War. There were a lot of circumstances in the mix leading to the cause of this. The ideologies of Britain versus the Orange Free State and the Republic of Transvaal, also known as the Republic of South Africa, were still at odds. Annexation of parts of Transvaal by Britain were once again the focus, as was this battle over the control of valuable resources like gold. In 1899, things boiled over, and 22-year-old Fritz was ready to
2: fight. Fritz claimed that he had been summoned to return home from Europe to join the fight in a letter from his father. But it seems as though Abraham Duquesne was actually already dead by 1899. An ultimatum, though, was issued jointly by Transvaal and the Orange Free State that British troops had to be out of Boer territory by October 11, 1899. That did not happen, and so on October 12th, war was declared by the Boers, and Britain began closing all of the ports along the coast. Duquesne arrived home, whether at the behest of his father or someone else, as all of this was happening sometime in December.
1: We'll get into Fritz's life in the military after we pause for a quick sponsor break.
0: Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit
1: TomboyX.com to shop.
3: So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: was commissioned as a lieutenant and was assigned under the command of Piet Joubert, the Commandant General of the Republic. Now, Fritz claimed throughout his life that Joubert was his uncle. His mother's maiden name was Joubert, and he said that Piet had been the one to send him to school in England, but that family tie has never actually been confirmed.
1: Initially, the Boers fared quite well in the war against the British, although the Transvaal and Orange Free State military was made up of farmers and hunters. Many of them led pretty nomadic lives. Those were men who could shoot and track as a matter of course from the time they were kids. And they were comfortable out in the veld. That's the undeveloped grasslands of southern Africa. This entire conflict was harder for the British soldiers than anticipated. Britain had become kind of accustomed to just swooping into areas of conflict with nations that had less fortified militaries and then wrangling just efficient and decisive victories That's not what happened here. There was a lot of back and forth in the fight with the Boers. And Fritz thrived in the conflict. He became so well-known for his stealth that people started calling him the Black Panther of the Veld, although that may have been the nickname that he gave himself. He definitely told people about it for the rest of his life, though.
2: Yeah, anytime you look up any sort of uh, article about him, anytime he appears, people will use that moniker... (laughs) (laughs) And I still wonder if he just decided, like, I'm a Black Panther. I'm a Black (laughs) Panther of the Veld. Um... In early spring of 1900, Fritz Duquesne was actually injured in the war. He was shot in his right shoulder. And he continued fighting though, even as the Boers found themselves with fewer and fewer successes. To be clear, this was a lot of incredibly bloody fighting. There were a lot of men lost for both the Boers and Britain. Uh, And in some cases, the farm militia of the Boers though were able to take advantage of their knowledge of the terrain and make themselves almost undetectable to British troops and that offered them a chance to open fire without the enemy ever anticipating it. This is kind of one of those conflicts where you see some shifting away from traditional military engagement into more guerrilla warfare.
1: As the tide had turned, there were concerns that the finances of Transvaal's Boer government could fall into the hands of the British, and a plan was made to move the country's gold stores to Europe in secret— So millions of pounds of gold, the exact value ranges from a million dollars to five million dollars, was loaded with other valuable state papers onto a series of wagons to be taken quietly to the coast and then sent on from there. And allegedly none other than Fritz Duquesne got involved in this whole story.
2: So Fritz, according to the tale, intercepted the wagons with fake credentials that he was carrying that claimed to be from Transvaal's president, Paul Kruger. Duquesne had several other men with him, white accomplices as well as several black servants, and they took those wagons that they had commandeered deeper into the wilds. It is possible that once the gold was stashed in a series of caves, Duquesne actually conspired with the head of a nearby tribe to have all of his men killed in exchange for the oxen that had been pulling the wagons, leading him to be the only one left alive who knew the gold's whereabouts. We do not know if this story is true. I feel like we say that after everything. Uh, Conveniently, all of the players in this story other than Duquesne were killed or would be impossible to track down, per his story. But he used this tale once again as a a yarn that would bolster his reputation throughout his life.
1: In June of 1900, he was injured. He had a lance go through his foot, and Duquesne went on the run, but was soon captured by the British. It was only the first of several captures. He escaped uh, when the town that the British troops took him to for imprisonment turned out to have burned down. And in the confusion, upon having discovered that their destination was burned down, Fritz made a run for it. And then after finding another group of Boer fighters, any real military structure was gone at this point, he joined up with them. They were defeated in their next fight, though, and he was taken prisoner again. This time, he started up a friendly conversation with one of the soldiers to get that soldier relaxed. And then as they crossed a bridge, Fritz hit the soldier hard over the head, knocking him out, and then jumped into the river. He managed to hide in the bush by the bank until the British troops gave up, looking for him and moved on. Duquesne
2: planned to then travel on foot until he could get to a port, with the hope being that he could get on a boat and be taken to where he could rejoin the main thrust of the Boer forces. But after a few days of walking, he was captured by colonists from Portugal, and he was turned over to British authorities. From there, he was transported to the port city of Lorenzo Marquez, now known as Maputo in Mozambique, and he was put in an actual prison. It was actually like a cell in a castle-style prison. Uh, That made his plans for escape a little bit limited, but of course, that was always his plan. Literally, every time he got in hot water, his next thought was, how can I get out of here? He managed to slip through a ventilation shaft into another room at one point, but that was not a cell. Uh, But then he was seen right away and was immediately taken back into custody and put back into his cell.
1: From there, he was shipped to Lisbon, where he was jailed, but found it much more comfortable than his previous captivity had been. He claimed to have befriended the jailer and also had a romance with that man's daughter, Whether or not it was comfortable, Duquesne still wanted out. He eventually managed to escape again, although the details are not clear. This time, he made his way to Brussels after stops in Cadiz and Paris, and he made contact with Transvaal's representative there. That was William Johannes Lades. It was there, and through this discussion with Lades, that Duquesne's life as a spy began.
2: Uh yeah, I, we'll do a brief aside and say that there you could have some pedantic discussions over whether he was more of a saboteur or a spy at various points in his nefarious dealings career. Um he got labeled a spy generally, so even though this particular part to me seems more like a saboteur, we'll go with it. Uh Lade suggested that Fritz pose as a Boer defector and join the British military. This was something that happened a number of times as some of the Boers got tired of the fighting. And Fritz's background and his military expertise ensured that he would be sent right back to the Anglo-Boer War. There, the plan was that he would desert and join up with the Boers again. But this plan was really, really risky. Uh, As we said, defectors, not that uncommon, but they were known as Judas Boers, and they were viewed with utter contempt by their countrymen. And it was entirely possible that Fritz would be shot on sight by his fellows before he could reveal his ruse.
1: When Duquesne got back to South Africa in March of 1901, he was horrified. Most of the Boer farms had been burned. There was a huge homeless population of Boer women and children who had lost their husbands and fathers to the fighting. They were put into camps that were poorly managed and resulted in really high mortality rates and sheer misery for those who managed to survive.
2: But the real horror for Fritz Duquesne was learning what happened to his family. Uh, He thought because they were so rural and it would just be his mom and his sister, who was a little bit younger, and his uncle, who was blind, that people would just leave them alone. But their farm had been burned like so many others. The one surviving servant had told him that his uncle had been hanged and then mutilated. His mother and sister had both been raped by British soldiers. His sister had been shot, and his mother was then taken to camp as a prisoner disguised in his British uniform, Fritz was able to find his mother at a nearby camp, and she was very, very sick, dying, according to Fritz's later account of syphilis, and she had a seven-month-old baby.
1: Duquesne knew that he couldn't save his mother, so he made her a promise. Quote, as long as I live, I will never draw one breath but to pay back the English for what they have done. I pledge my soul that for every drop of rotten, poisoned blood in your body, I will kill a hundred Englishmen. So for Fritz, this completely changed his drive to fight the British on behalf of his people into just a personal vendetta. He spoke for the rest of his life about how deeply he hated all Englishmen for what had happened to his family. And he held a special level of hatred for Field Marshal Horatio Kitchener, who headed up the British military effort during this time and had directed this scorched-earth campaign in Boer territory.
2: And Duquesne immediately set to work on his first act of vengeance. His plan was to turn Cape Town, which was a place that had become sort of the English headquarters in South Africa, into a place with as much pain and suffering for Great Britain as the misery that they had caused the Boers. With about 20 conspirators, he planned a massive bomb attack for the night of October 11th, 1901. Explosives were to be placed throughout the city, at the docks, at the utilities, around municipal buildings, basically everywhere. And as part of this plot, Fritz actually attended a social event that night in his full British uniform. He was quite respected within the British Army. But then as he tried to leave the event, Duquesne was arrested on charges of conspiracy against the British government and espionage. And it turned out that one of the 20 men that Fritz had trusted had become worried that his own property in Cape Town would be destroyed by all this, so he blabbed the entire scheme to British authorities. So
1: hang on to that betrayal. We are about to get into its repercussions but first we're going to take a quick break to hear from the sponsors
0: happy pride from tomboy x celebrating pride and the queer community all year queer founded queer run and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear swimwear and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin tomboy x just dropped their pride 24 collection
3: So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Fritz Duquesne, still technically a British Army officer, was court-martialed. And when he was questioned, along with the 19 other men, Fritz confessed to his own involvement in the plot, but claimed the other men were strangers to him. The only one that he could not deny knowledge of was the man who turned him in. When Fritz was called a traitor, he denied it, saying, quote, I am a boor, not a Britisher. Duquesne continued. He explained to the court his political point of view, that Britain had invaded where the Boers were simply trying to live their lives as they wished. And he also revealed what had happened to his family at the hands of British soldiers. Fritz and his accomplices were declared guilty and sentenced to be shot at sunrise the following day.
1: But Fritz Duquesne did not die with the dawn. In the night, a British general made him an offer that if he gave the British army the communication codes that the Boers were using, he could live to fight for his country. He would not be freed, but he also would not be executed. He grudgingly agreed with this. He watched the firing squad carry out the sentence on his co-conspirators before he was taken to a cell where he was asked to translate a number of Boer communications, Duquesne always claimed that he didn't translate the codes and betray his country, but instead created new codes to confuse the British. He also wrote a number of letters to his captors, complaining about the food and the treatment that he was receiving, including a list of expletives that he had been called and saying, quote, this is not likely to do any good and hurts the feelings of the prisoner.
2: That just tickled me. Like in the midst of all of this, he's like, my feelings are hurt when you call me these bad names. <laughs> Uh, And of course, he tried to escape. That was his jam. So this is pretty ingenious. We mentioned it briefly in the hippo episode, but we can go into a little more detail here. He used a spoon, like the classic old school movie trope, to scrape away the mortar that was holding the stones of the exterior wall of his cell. And he did this slowly over time until he felt like he had gotten enough stones loose that he could get out. But when the night came that he thought that he was ready, there was enough loose mortar for him to escape, as he was pushing them out, a stone from above those stones, which had lost its support as he had been scooting those stones below out, fell on top of him, and it pinned him to the ground.
1: So from that point on, he was kept in irons. He was also shipped away to Bermuda on a ship that sailed from Cape Town on November 7th, 1901, which carried 340 prisoners of war. As part of this change in circumstance, he was told that he was exiled from South Africa forever. He took this news very badly, but he was oddly okay with the transfer to a penal colony in Bermuda. This meant that he might have another chance at escape. He tried to put together an escape plan during the voyage, which involved taking the captain of the ship prisoner. That was foiled by the men being a little cavalier with their discussions and being found out as a consequence. All of the conspirators in that attempt were placed in cells with worse conditions than the already rough situation that they had been in prior to this plan.
2: Yeah, they, they had apparently had, you know, not great provisions, cleanliness, etc. before this, but then they were just put in like the grossest part of the ship. Uh, Fritz, maybe learning that you can't trust groups, uh, tried to escape on his own later when his shackles had been removed so that he could get some exercise on deck. He actually killed a guard in the process and threw him overboard, and then he hid in a hawsehole, hoping to jump into the water when night fell, but he was recaptured before that could happen. But because there was no body, he was not officially found guilty of murder, Throughout this journey, he wrote a number of letters to various authorities about his poor treatment and the awful provisions. This is something that became sort of a hobby throughout all of his various imprisonments in life, of which there were a lot more to come.
1: <laughs> I like. I was like, well, I, I tried to escape. I might have murdered someone. I definitely conspired with the other prisoners, but they're treating me so bad.
2: I would really like better food. Like, <laughs>
1: So once the ship got to Bermuda, conditions improved considerably for the Boer POWs, although they were still captive. And Fritz, as ever, was plotting with escape possibilities. They were on small islands apart from the main island, so the prisoners had more freedom of movement within these military camp zones. There were some escape attempts by other prisoners, particularly because there were a number of Boer sympathizers on the main island who would harbor them, but most of them were recaptured.
2: Yeah, once once uh, British authorities realized, like, oh, they're making a run for the island because these people will let them stay in their houses, they started watching those houses and uh, the islands a little more tightly. Even in shackles, though, Fritz, who had always been a ladies' man since he was a teenager, managed to woo a young woman while in Bermuda. Alice Wortley was the daughter of the U.S. Director of Bermuda's Agriculture, and she found Fritz Duquesne fascinating, even though she literally met him... When he was in shackles sitting with other prisoners, (laughs) Uh, he was well-educated and he could speak multiple languages, and the two of them were really strongly drawn to one another.
1: As the word reached Duquesne about the Anglo-Boer War coming to a close and peace terms being reached in May of 1902, that shifted his plans a little bit. He still wanted to escape, but there was no home that he could go back to, and there was no fight that he could take up there on the part of his people. So Fritz, like all the other Boer POWs, was offered release if he signed an oath of allegiance to the British crown. A lot of the other Boer prisoners readily did so, but Fritz and a number of the other men were just not willing to. Even though refusing meant that they would stay in prison, Fritz was making other plans.
2: So one night during a rainstorm, Duquesne made his move. He slipped out of his tent through a barbed wire fence and in what he described as the thrill of his life, swam through water filled with sharks to the main island where he sought help from one of those known Boer sympathizers. She actually knew that it was a little dicey to take anybody in at this point because of the heightened uh, awareness. And so she handed him off to another sympathizer and that person helped him make his way to the capital city of Hamilton.
1: Duquesne knew that he could not just board a ship. He was a wanted man. All of the docks and the ships in port were being watched, so he set up a life for himself in Hamilton. First, he disguised himself by shearing off all of his hair. Then he made the acquaintance of a sex worker named Vera and became her manager. But this was, of course, not something he intended to be his new life. It was a means to an end. Meeting men to arrange rendezvous with Vera meant that he heard all the latest information about what was happening at the docks from the sailors who made up a significant portion of that business. Moreover, it gave him a chance to steal clothing from one of Vera's customers one night and then pretend to be that drunken sailor when returning to his ship, which was the Margaret.
2: By the time Duquesne was discovered as a stowaway, the Margaret was well on its way to Baltimore. Fritz had spent more than a day at that point in the brig, because when he had boarded apparently stumbling drunk, which was fake, the first mate had thrown him in there to sober up, not realizing it was not their regular crew member, but an interloper. The once-boor spy had found himself aboard a very nice yacht belonging to Isaac Edward Emerson. This was the inventor of the antacid Bromo Seltzer. Emerson questioned the stowaway and got Duquesne's entire story, at least as Fritz chose to tell it, of the war, his imprisonment, his unwillingness to swear an oath to Britain, and his escape from prison. When Emerson asked Duquesne if he had ever been at sea, Fritz said no, but that he thought he would make a good steward. And Emerson agreed that he would and allegedly replied, I think everything will turn out fine for you in America. So while the yacht's owner seemed to like Fritz, the captain did not. Duquesne was
1: convinced he would be turned in if he arrived in Baltimore with the ship, so he plotted an opportunity to jump and swim to shore after studying maps of their planned course. As the Margaret slid past Great Fox Island in Chesapeake Bay, he made his move, and he arrived after a swim in Maryland he next made his way to Pennsylvania and then to Patterson, New Jersey, where he had a contact and a place to stay.
2: Incidentally, 10 years later, when Duquesne applied for naturalization to become a citizen of the U.S., he said that he had arrived in Baltimore on September 12, 1902, aboard the Margaret as a crew member and an immigrant from Bermuda.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So this is where we are going to take a pause in Fritz's story, because, I mean, next time it's going to get really weird. Yeah.
2: Uh oh Fritz. Um <laughs> I, I have a, a grudging sort of love for him because he's very fun. Uh for listener mail, I am going to um Uh, Read one from our listener, Ashley, which is about our emergency medicine episodes. And Ashley writes, hi, Tracy and Holly. My partner and I listened to your emergency medicine episodes together and loved them. My partner is an ER resident in a major city, and I'm a historian and an archaeologist. Your episodes have been getting me through my days working remotely and kept my spirits up. Thank you for all you do. Um, Ashley, thanks to both you and your partner for having jobs that are important. Um, keeping history alive is uh, always very dear to our hearts. And of course anyone working in emergency medicine right now needs to have all of the accolades thrust upon them. She also writes, uh, some great topics you may be interested in. Uh, she writes a few that are pretty cool. And, uh, she said, if you read all of this, thank you for taking the time and thank you for making an awesome podcast. Um, we almost never read our suggestions in listener mail out loud because we might use them. Um, (laughs) But I wanted to make sure to thank Ashley, especially because uh, her partner is an ER resident, super important. And that also means that Ashley is living in a heightened state of probably stress as well. So thank you both because uh, we would be lost without you. Um, if you would like to write to us, you can do so at History podcast at iHeartRadio.com. You can also find us everywhere on social media as Missed in History. And if you would like to subscribe, you can do that on the iHeartRadio app, at Apple Podcasts, or wherever it is you listen. Stuff You Missed in
1: History Class is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.